0: Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's time to preview another Penn State matchup. The Delaware Fighting Blue Hens come to town Saturday noon kickoff in Beaver Stadium. The number seven Nittany Lions will be waiting for them. And we'll get a lot of perspective in just a moment on this Delaware squad. I think it's fair to say that they are probably the, the program that if you ask the average Penn State fan, they know the least amount about. Uh, compared to everybody else's 2023 schedule, it's standable They're an FCS opponent. They played at a pretty high level at that level for a to- uh, for, for an extended period of time. But still, they're, they're not at the at Power 5, much less FBS level. So in order to get better perspective, we've got Daniel uh, Steenkamer, who is with the UD Review down at uh, University of Delaware. And he'll get a chance uh, to really break things down offensively, defensively what kind of a task this Delaware team is facing. We'll spend the next few minutes with him, and then we're going to shift gears and dive right into what Penn State is looking at here. A lot of different circumstances in play. You're looking to improve the 2-0. They're a very heavy favorite to do that. You'll hear our predictions on the subject, but you're also looking to peel back the curtain a little bit on this roster. It's a game that we expect to maybe get out of hand by the time halftime rolls around, maybe a bit after that. A lot of young players on this team. We didn't see Penn State go too deep in a lot of different ways, uh, at different positions in week one. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Additionally, some of those player absences, some of those veterans who did not participate in that 38-15 to 15 victory over West Virginia Saturday night. Where do things stand there? we got to look at practice on Wednesday evening. We then heard from James Franklin and a few different players. Uh, we'll address a few of those things uh, with Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen a bit later here on the show. But as I said, Daniel Steenkamer uh, from the UD Review. And so he's right there on campus. He's got a good feel for what the Blue Hens are bringing up here to Beaver Stadium. He'll be up in the Beaver Stadium press box. So we look forward to welcoming you there. It's the first time these teams have ever met Daniel. And we appreciate you coming on the podcast to help us get a, a better feel
1: for who these Blue Hens are. Absolutely, Tyler. It's great to meet you in this way. And thank you so much for having me. In case
0: folks missed it, we have our uh, Know the Foe weekly piece up at lines247.com. Uh, usually, we're able to tap into the 24-7 Sports Network. Next week, you'll hear from Jeremy Werner, who covers Illinois for us. But this week, that wasn't an option. Daniel stepped up, gave us a lot of really good stuff. So uh, six questions with him and, and more of a comprehensive breakdown than you'll probably hear on this podcast segment over at lines 247com But let's start with the fact that Delaware, like Penn State, is 1-0 and on this young season. Their victory came over Stony Brook 37-13 what were your takeaways from their week 1 performance what questions were answered that were maybe lingering through preseason camp and i guess what questions still loom large for you personally
1: coming out coming into stony brook i should say Arguably the most major question facing Delaware was its defense. Uh, This is a program that across head coaches, uh, previously head coach Danny Rocco, who actually has a Penn State background, folks may remember a former Penn State player before he transferred out, um, to go from head coach Rocco to head coach Ryan Carty, currently the head coach. It's been a strong defense, a tradition of strong defense for Delaware uh, at the FCS level, but entering this season, nine starters lost for Delaware on that side of the ball. So you're seeing a lot of new faces, a lot of turnover, a large class of transfers entering for the Blue Hens on that position. And by and large, the defense acquitted itself quite well at Stony Brook. Now, as I write in in the piece you referenced on uh, Lions 24-7, That's a Stony Brook team that's really rebuilding, trying to find its identity with a new offensive system. Stony Brook's predicted towards the uh, seller of the CAA, which is Delaware's FCS conference. And so not the best matchup read, not the best way you can gauge Delaware's defense, uh, given the opponent. But at the same time, to go on the road and hold an opponent to 13 points total, including three in the first half, that was a great sign for Delaware's defense. And this is a a Blue Hens team that added numerous uh, grad transfers. These are new to Delaware players but they're still experienced I mean they have played in many cases four years of college football that's especially true at the DB spot uh, Tyron Herring is a player who led Delaware in tackles at Stony Brook uh, he's a grad transfer from Dartmouth College who's played a lot of ball and a really strong tradition up at Dartmouth so that's just one example of a transfer who is really anchoring this new look Delaware defense but you heard James Franklin talk about it this week in, in his uh, opening press conference or his weekly press conference I know he's available a couple times uh, to you mm-hmm. guys uh, in University Park and in his first press conference, he described you know, how unorthodox and unusual, in some ways, Delaware's three safety looks can be. So it's a Delaware team that has really reloaded on defense and still likes to give various looks, various kind of heavy defensive back, high-volume DB showings on that side of the ball. And that, that really was effective at Stony Brook. So that was one question make- that was really... I think for me, and then quickly on offense, Delaware yeah. has two quarterbacks who are regularly seeing action. Ryan O'Connor was the starter at Stony Brook. He's now a junior uh, academically, and he's uh, a member who, of the program since his true freshman year. He was the incumbent maybe in that way. He was not a returning starter. He had his first career start at stony brook but he's a player who had been in ryan carty system for that whole first year of ryan carty and then bringing in some competition for o'connor over the offseason was a juco transfer in zach marker uh, from iowa central community college and marker was the next quarterback in line the, the game plan going in was to get both of those guys live reps at stony brook and, and that was the case i believe that remains the case at, at penn state now as i write about it could be a situation where you. Who's the third quarterback, right? Like if this gets out of hand, the two starters, quote unquote, two starters, who's next from the Delaware bench, that remains to be seen. But I don't think Penn State fans need to be too worried about that in that scenario. Mostly just expect to see two quarterbacks for Delaware as well, both who are mobile, but haven't exactly played a ton of Division One football either.
0: Yeah, we saw a, a dual threat quarterback in Garrett Green for West Virginia. A lot of the defensive players said they felt like this defense learned a lot from the experience against him. West Virginia put up seven points on the day, but Green came away looking pretty good. James Franklin shed some light on that. So you mentioned some of the mobility. We'll see what that looks like. I'm curious. You talked about some transfer pickups for Delaware. Uh, what struck me in reading through some of the content you provided us on the site was there's some power five factors here. Um, you know, we talk so much about guys transferring from the FBS or FCS up to the power five. Well, it's a game of musical chairs on these rosters at the power five level not always a seat at the table anymore some guys look in the mirror and say i can be a starter at a level down where did delaware scoop up some guys from the power five level and where could we see them maybe make an impact this weekend
1: One of those power five guys is is actually a Big Ten guy on defense is uh, the young sophomore cornerback of Corey Lide. Lide was a really highly rated player out of high school in, in, in New Jersey, that North Jersey area, which is an area that Ryan Carty is originally from. He has a really strong tie there. Uh, through his family of coaches as well Ryan Carty comes from a family of coaches and so that whole family really is well connected in that region and Delaware picks up a Corey Lied from Wisconsin uh, lied in his freshman campaign didn't see action with the Badgers uh, just had an injury track record couldn't just you know as a freshman let alone it's hard to break a Big Ten too deep or depth chart however you want to describe it and then you factor in the injury concern and so a Corey gets closer to home by transferring to Delaware he really caught up to speed in fall camp really made big strides and now if, if he's not a starter uh, ahead of Tyron Herring, I mentioned earlier, or ahead of Khalil Dawsey, another Harvard grad transfer, or I should say another Ivy League grad transfer who uh, came from Harvard, uh, Khalil a uh, Corey lies right there in that rotation for Delaware at corner. So he has that Wisconsin pedigree and he has that Big Ten background. Another such player is uh, Joshua Youngblood over on the offensive side of the ball and on special teams. Uh, Youngblood, some Power 5 fans may remember, he was a, a Big Ten special teams player of the year as a freshman at Kansas State, I'm going to say back in 2019. Uh, he made a pit stop at Rutgers for a number of years. Similar story to a Corey over at Wisco not as severe injuries, perhaps, but just you know, lingering things that really changed the usage uh, for Youngblood at Rutgers, and he takes his grad transfer year. Uh, he graduated from Rutgers, and now Josh Youngblood joins Ryan Carty's offense. There can never be enough receivers in Ryan Carty's offense. I mean, this is a, this is a team that, as James Franklin said, bases out of 11 personnel. They're going to be wide receivers rotating in and out of the game, receivers all over the field, and I say that not only because Delaware will be in plenty of passing situations on Saturday, but because that's what Delaware wants to do. You want They want to open you up, and that's not something that's unique in college football anymore these days, but the sheer number of receivers who are capable for Delaware, it's a really strong core. I mean, Delaware thinks it can compete at the skill positions, not blow for blow with Penn State, but that's not the area where Delaware's biggest uh, headaches are going to come, I think, on Saturday. Uh, That's not to say, to give a slight to Penn State's uh, elite talent at the skill positions, but it's just to say that a Delaware strength for sure is at those skill spots, and Josh Youngblood of the Rutgers transfer is, is one of them.
0: I'm with you. When I wrote up my prediction this week, I, I thought, you know, I, I mentioned there, I think it's going to be more in the trenches that Penn State's going to enforce its will early and often. And I think that's where it gets away from the Blue Hens uh, pretty quickly in this one. But I'm with you. They had the guys on the field, especially on the perimeter, to make some plays. We saw that in week one. And, and it's a huge jump to go from Stony Brook to the number seven team in the nation. But James Franklin says he's anticipating, while Delaware would probably like to get more vertical on a consistent basis, he says it's, he's expecting a quick game. Uh, to move the pocket laterally, to get the ball out of of the quarterback's hands, whoever it is, before this defensive line, before this front seven can corral them and make life miserable in the pocket. We saw West Virginia enjoy some success in that realm to a degree with Garrett Green last week. If Delaware is doing that, and that means getting the ball out super quick in the pocket, who are the playmakers around the field that Penn State defenders are going to have to be queuing in on?
1: I'll also go back to Delaware receivers in just a moment, but to quickly touch on the running backs uh, who Delaware has increasingly been able to use in the passing game in spots the, the previous staff, not so much, but Ryan Carty his brand of offense. He, he'd like to call it very multiple. It's an imaginative offense uh, the way I see it. And so, Delaware's three primary running backs are all capable of catching the football. Uh, Marcus Yarns is probably the first running back you're going to see. He's the big play hitter, good strides, really strong runner who, when he hits the second and third levels, it, the, the speed of Penn State is going to be much different than any other defense he faces all year. But Marcus Yarns is a threat uh, to make something happen uh, deeper downfield. Uh, but when it comes to catching the ball, he can do that as well. And so I mentioned the running backs because the screen game, the, the design move of the pocket, that, that's not something that Delaware is basing its out of offense out of typically, but UD is really left with no choice but to really head that direction for so the simple fact of, it, especially early in the game, Ryan O'Connor likely the starting quarterback, even at Stony Brook, you could see quick dart passes, get those high percentage looks, get those, get that confidence under your belt. You translate that to week two and it makes perfect sense on the road, in that crowd noise, in that environment, something that Delaware is not accustomed to on a weekly basis or on a yearly basis. I mean, this is the highest ranked FBS opponent Delaware has ever faced uh, in Penn State. So I say all that to say, I'm with you on that. They're going to be the quick passing games. So who's it going to? The running backs. It'll especially go to Jordan Townsend, uh, the all-conference slot receiver who's really, really blossomed to come into his own uh, after the first season uh, of Ryan Carty's system being installed. I mean, you saw Townsend being used really, really to his strengths as an athlete in the middle of the field at that slot spot. You might even also see him you know, catch some, maybe some sweeps. You might see him on, on just some action, trying to find the edge, trying to use his quickness to elude uh, is really strong inside the box for Penn State. There aren't many weaknesses in Penn State's defense from a matchup perspective uh, for Delaware's POV, but uh, I, I do think that Jordan Townsend is a name to know, number 17, the slot receiver. James Franklin highlighted him. And uh, the tight end, Braden Bros as well, in terms of you know having a quick pass over the middle, that kind of thing. Braden Bros is very shorthanded, and it's been a red zone threat for Delaware against FCS opponents. So those are a couple important names to know, I think, as far as pass catchers go. Uh, but you're going to see as many as there were nine pass catchers for Delaware, and nine players with at least one reception at Stony Brook. Delaware is going to be throwing at a high volume again on Saturday. You could see double-digit different Delaware players catching the ball. Uh, but I, I, I especially think that Townsend and a tight end Braden Bruce will be names that you'll hear on Saturday plenty.
0: Uh, You've mentioned Ryan Carty, the head coach uh, and what he's done at Delaware. And, and formerly as a quarterback, he was the backup to Joe Flacco when they won the Division 1 AA championship. And of course, Flacco goes on to become a Super Bowl MVP at a Delaware. And you look, there have been multiple appearances. Now it's the FCS versus the Division 1 AA, but continuing to be a team that contends in the playoffs, contends in, for a national title uh, appearances at that level. So I, I put, say that to put it in perspective that this is a team that I think you have high expectations for in the FCS realm. But I also want to set you up to give your prediction for what they encounter in Beaver Stadium cuz they play in front of 18,000 people at, at most at home this stadium at 110,000 i think that illustrates the jump taking here how do you see this playing out and realistically what's the score you're going to give us coming away
1: Delaware's first drive at Stony Brook, and I'm going to go back to that Stony Brook game. People hear me keep saying that, you know, why why would you reference a game against an inferior FCS opponent when when you have the Big Ten opponent coming up? But I'm just putting it in perspective. Delaware's first drive on offense that day, it, it moved the ball, but there were a couple sacks on that first drive. The offensive line just getting settled in. Delaware was not airtight in terms of pass protection. Its offensive line, although its starters are all comprised of seniors or grad students who have been playing together for a number of years, really that Delaware offensive line, its strength is run blocking. So Delaware, I would expect to come away firing away, passing, you know, taking some chances within a reason. Delaware doesn't have anything to lose at Penn State, right? But I just think that the Hens can, at some point, are going to fall behind the eight ball, get in bad behind schedule situations as it relates to the sticks, and wind up with third and longs that will create quick, Punts by Ryan Cost, the all-CAA transfer from Monmouth, and you see a snowball effect, right? Like, I think that's something that isn't a hot take, but I can easily envision that happening. It happened at Stony Brook a little bit. Delaware moved the football, though. Delaware overcame its negative plays at Stony Brook early on and in the end had a really strong day of offense. It's way, way more difficult to envision that happening against Penn State. So can Delaware move the ball or at least not even move the ball, just have the time of possession be reasonable in the first quarter? Could be, uh, but I think inevitably at some point as you progress in the deeper in the first half, the time of possession swing is going to start moving towards the home team and it's going uh, to escape Delaware. Uh, so with that, my final score projection uh, is Penn State 52, Delaware 14. Maybe one of those Delaware touchdowns comes in meaningful game action and the other comes later. That's kind of what my thinking was, but I, I do have Penn State uh, by 38 in, in this final score.
0: He is Daniel Steenkamer. He is with UD Review, doing a great job covering Delaware. We look forward to welcoming you to the press box up here uh, in just a matter of days now. Please come say hello. Please take a lot of those Dixie cups filled with creamy ice cream when you leave the press box. Um, and, and we appreciate the coverage, not just here on the podcast, but I encourage folks to check out everything you sent our way for the Know the Foe piece up at lines 247com Thanks, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's go to another Daniel, along with our friend Mark shift focus back to the Penn State Nittany Lions, number seven in the nation, and taking on Delaware for the first time. As Daniel laid out really well there, uh, look, we're not expecting much down there or up here from the Blue Hens for four quarters of football. Uh, we're expecting them to come up and, and, and probably play motivated football, but eventually – Get worn down by this Nittany Lions team. We'll give our predictions a little bit later. Uh, his score is is pretty close to where we land. I think. Now I'm not giving it away too much there. But, Mark, this is one of those games I think you want to get through four quarters healthy, but you also want to get through four quarters and feel like Penn State's in a buttoned up situation. And we see that roster depth that we heard so much about for the last eight months reflected throughout this matchup.
3: Yeah, first of all, huge shout out to to Daniel for coming on. We like to have opposing media, uh, you know, talk to them the week before the game, and typically we're able to do that within within our network and it's a difficult it's a more challenging thing and for for a young writer like that who obviously knows the team and i can't believe anybody is much more plugged into that team than he is uh, just really appreciate his insight and his perspective and and his energy i mean that that's cool and look forward to to seeing him at the press box yeah you know one of the things i said is that i think penn state the way this schedule plays out i think it's much better that they were able to open with west virginia and then play an FCS opponent. And what do I mean by that? I think against West Virginia, even though Penn State kind of rolled to a relatively easy win, and as I viewed that game, I never got the, 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 you know, after Keandre Lambert-Smith goes 72 for seven or for six, I never got the sense that Penn State was in any sort of trouble. There were just enough things that the coaching staff could sink its teeth into that they really had to focus on and teach during this week. And I, I think that coming into this sort of game, that's actually a positive. Rather than the other way around, Have you had you started with an FCS game that wasn't very competitive, well, then all of a sudden you're coming into this game really not knowing what some of the issues may be. And then your next game is on the road in a Big Ten venue. So I think this plays out. To me, the keys are ironing out some of the stuff, And when we did our prediction, I said to you guys, don't use the word kinks because like 30 different people use, you know, smooth out, but ironing out the wrinkles, getting that kicking game, if you can kind of dialed in and emerging from this thing healthy. And then you also touched on it to the extent that you're able to get younger players reps. It'll be great if they have the luxury of doing that for most of the second half, because when we talk about depth, it's all it's great to talk about the athleticism and, and all of this stuff. But, you know, what did we learn from the kicking game? What did we learn from the place kicking unit? You know, those guys obviously performed in practice. And Sanders Sahadak obviously did well enough in practice to get the starting job. But it's a different thing when you get out there on the field. And to be able to, to, to see guys get out there on the field at the end of the West Virginia game, which I thought it was laughable that Neil Brown was, you know, his whole, and I know we've already gone, gone over that, but to be able to get out there in, in, in Beaver Stadium in front of 85,000 people or however many are going to actually show up for this game, I think is going to be a real positive for a lot of these guys if Penn
0: State has the luxury of doing that. Daniel, I mean, it's one of those David versus Goliath situations. Rarely do you see any kind of upset alert develop here. Um, We don't anticipate it in Beaver Stadium, as we'll get to with our predictions. But what are you kind of focusing in on as the hours tick down between that week one look against West Virginia and a week two look against Delaware, where I think the goal is don't look let down for the Nittany Lions. Look like you're excited to play football and handle your business
2: yeah i'm in a similar boat to mark as as wanting to see this depth um you know we've heard so much about it and i think that penn state and james franklin are really going to make the concerted effort um to get some of these younger players this experience we talk about that iowa game two years ago so much um in terms of you know how ready were some of those young players for that environment um and so it i will be interesting to see you know when they make the move when they get to that point but i think overall in this type of game you you just want to see a very smooth performance um i think back to that villanova game two years ago which looked like it might be a, a very smooth performance and there was you know a little it got a little touch and go not from the perspective that the game was going to be in doubt but from the fact that it didn't look easy and it didn't necessarily look how it was supposed to against an FCS team albeit one of the better programs at that level. So you want to see Penn State come out and handle business, and you don't want to see anything pop up that could be an area of concern. I mean, if you have an area of concern pop up in a in a Big Ten game, that's understandable based on the, the level of coaching and the level of talent that's there, and that's when you really get into kind of the, the chess match of things. Um, but you shouldn't have to worry about that against Delaware even if the Blue Hens are kind of like I just said with Villanova, one of the more solid FCS programs and a historically successful one.
0: Yeah, let's go back really quickly to that game because I remember walking away and thinking this is a four and O Penn State team that's ranked six in the country. But boy, was that underwhelming in some really important ways against the Wildcats. It was a thirty eight to seventeen game. In reality, it, uh, it was dominant in that. It was thirty eight to three early in the, the fourth quarter before Villanova tacked on a couple late touchdowns. But I remember going through this thing and and yeah, Clifford drew four touchdowns, but pressure that day for Penn State, Jonathan Lovett, 11 carries for 45 yards and and Penn State averaged 2.4 yards per rush against Villanova. And we were like, whoa, okay, this is a major red flag. And guess what? 2020 was the year of futility when it came to Penn State's rushing attack. We weren't losing our minds based on what we saw against an inferior opponent. That was a calling card, unfortunately, of that Penn State team. They were able to ride the Sean Clifford strong start and some defensive magic to an unbeaten start into early October, then the wheels came off and they finished seven and six. So yeah, that that is definitely a warning sign. I don't, I don't think we saw anything in week one that that carries over in a super big way, except for the kicking game where you're like, wow, that, 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 they can't drag that into Big Ten play. But let's get into the fact that they, we're going to see how far they take it into the season with these player absences, because that's a big question right now. DaQuan Hardy, Amin Vanover, koziah Izard, all three of these guys too deep if not starter material in this defense as we talked about it all all season all through the preseason that list gets posted a couple hours before kickoff the first time we ever see this because the ncaa is only mandating it now and james franklin under that out all three of those names and so we got looks on Wednesday. We, we did our best to, to track these guys down. Two of them were involved in practice, Daquan Hardy and Amin Vanover. But we have a, a full details in our VIP practice report up at lines 247com as we always do coming off the field. But just to, to summarize it here, Mark, didn't leave the practice field based on the way that Daquan Hardy and Amin Vanover were being utilized and implemented in drills that we see all the time. And, and where the starters were versus where the guys who were maybe with scout team were didn't come away feeling great about Daquan Hardy and Amin Vanover. Maybe we'll be proven wrong, and that would be news for Penn State, but uh, I'm not necessarily convinced they're going to be out uh, up from underneath that out. And additionally, we didn't see Keziah Izzard at all in pads in, in practice, and so uh, that obviously suggests that that things are still worth monitoring there going into Saturday morning.
3: Yeah, we, we, we've since learned that Keziah was doing some conditioning work uh, in an area that, that we didn't necessarily have access to, which I think is a good sign. One thing about Keziah – and geez, there's so much stuff where so many instances where Franklin talks, it was, it may have been last Thursday's, um, radio show. And if it wasn't, I, I apologize, but it was at some point that he talked about cause I being bumped up during, uh, camp and that it may have actually been a benefit to him because when he came back, he was super fresh and everybody else wasn't fresh. So I just wonder if this isn't, and that was Franklin talking and I, I think it was on the radio show. Again, we get hit with so many different uh, availabilities here. Not that I'm complaining. I like the availability. (laughs) But I I have to imagine um, that they are going to err on the side of caution this week, right? It wouldn't make any sense to try to rush anybody back from anything. At least in my view, it wouldn't. Uh, Especially, you know, with what you have looming after this week. I mean, whatever you think about uh, Illinois, I mean, that's a physical tough team. Uh, you know wh- whether they're you know really good or really bad that that coach is going to have a physical tough team and you want to be as healthy as you possibly could be so I would assume they're going to err on the side of caution don't have any inside info on that but it would kind of surprise me if we see any of those guys this week
0: and and Daniel that leads you to say okay well then the dominoes start to fall we we got a peek at it in week one maybe we'll see uh More names, uh, you know, along the way against Delaware using these spots. But the first name that comes to your mind with Daquan Hardy is is now, well, Johnny Dixon is going to play more inside because that's been Hardy's bread and butter for the last three seasons. That's been his role. Dixon handled that well against West Virginia, as we all anticipated. We also saw him on the perimeter, but that means stepping up is Cam Miller, and this is a guy that maybe we haven't spent enough time on the podcast talking about because whenever his name comes up and even doesn't come up,
2: James Franklin finds a way to put the spotlight on the sophomore cornerback. We've we've heard a lot about Cam Miller's work ethic. Um, I think I was talking to Malik Mega uh, about special team stuff, and you know Cam Miller is someone who found his way onto the field as a freshman through special teams and. Mega just said that, you know, Cam Miller is work ethic, Um, that that's he's the definition of it. So, you know, I think everything we've heard about what he's doing behind the scenes to put himself in a position to contribute on Saturdays, I think is positive uh, with with Cam Miller and, um, you know, how he's preparing from the mental side of things. And, you know, I thought that, you know, he looked like he belonged out there, Um, you know, the little bit that we saw him uh, within the defense. Um, you know, without Daquan Hardy, it, it is interesting how they adjusted. We saw a lot of that base defense. We saw a lot of S- Sam linebackers out in the slot. Um, you know, we didn't see really a, a straight up five defensive back package. Um, you know, we saw a decent amount of the prowler, uh, including in a short yardage situation. Um, So, you know, I do think that when you talk about depth, this is the kind of, um, you know, thing that that you want it for you you want that versatility of guys who can play inside and out i think that last year it came up that you know johnny dixon really looked at you know any way he could to get onto the field Uh, and that included learning how to play inside um, and really gain the trust of terry smith and manny diaz to be able to do that Um, and this is the type of situation where that really pays off and that can really pay dividends for this penn state defense Mark, looking at the defensive line and, and
0: obviously the, the lack of these two guys on the field impacts so much of the talking points that we had all of August. And, and I said coming out of preseason camp that identified the biggest strength of this team when we did our roundtable as the defensive line depth, and I guess part of that is being challenged now, and and you're seeing that tested. You saw a guy like Zane Durant step up as a sophomore, start his first game, go over 30 snaps. He averaged about 10 to 12 snaps per game last season on the whole as a freshman, so a big jump. Jordan Vandenberg ends up around 25 snaps. Devon Ellis, who's a Big Ten veteran, uh, right around there, close to 30 snaps as well, and Akeem Beeman's out there for 40-plus. So so we know that they've got the bodies to carry the load, but without Keziah Izzard, I guess that, that brings up a better question in here. Who were some of those next? Does this mean uh, Caleb Artist gets to take a step up in this game? He, I'm drawn to him being that big body, uh, having the opportunity here. He did not play on defense in week one, uh, but he's someone that's really done a nice job through one year on campus behind the scenes. And then Davon Townley is the other one that I wonder here at, at defensive line. Um, you know, a guy who played defensive end for his first couple of years on campus, came to town as a basketball forward-looking prospect, 220 pounds on signing day he's now 280 pounds on signing day and of course now he's 280 pounds on opening day i should say and along the way he hit the portal he came back he he transitioned to defensive tackle so is this the week that we get an extended peek at him i suppose that the point here is the defensive line absences and even daquan hardy's absence doesn't really bother you in this instance against delaware because you've got blue chip talent down the board, uh, any of these names we're referencing would be some of the top players on the Blue Hens roster immediately if you gave them over for the day. But I think that we all know that if they come out of this two-game span and we're still seeing similar patterns with any or all three of these players, then you start to get concerned about that depth being eroded and what that might mean within 11 a.m. local kickoff at Illinois. I mean, that's just the way it is, Mark.
3: Yeah, I was just surprised Daniel didn't mention the three safety look that Penn State went with. Sorry, that's an inside, that's an inside joke from the James Franklin press conference where he was asked about that and kidded one of our friends about it. So that's all love, John Saber. We're just kidding. Uh, it's, uh, it was actually a <laughs> that's the first time Tyler ever had a break uh, from from one of my stupid jokes. But no, I, Tyler. On, on all seriousness, I think it goes back to what I said about airing on the of caution with these guys i mean you want to keep them healthy and then i think the other side of it is yeah i mean don't we want to see caleb artis and don't we want to see townley i mean i know we have we have a segment coming up a little later where those not not names may come up but i think that that's that's why you have depth that Mm -hmm. so when you when you're in a situation like this you're not necessarily having to play, you know, walk-ons with all due respect to, to walk-ons. There are still guys who are scholarship players who project as impact players down the road who have the ability to get some quality quality snaps, who should have the ability, if Penn State takes care of business, to get some quality quality snaps in this game. So to me, that's important. I would also like to point out the the defensive end situation because we had projected that it would be uh chop. Robinson and Denai Dennis Sutton as the starters, and it ended up being uh, Chop and Adisa Isaac. But in your snap breakdown, I thought it was very interesting that uh, Denai played 42 snaps and Adisa right. 27. So those guys, it's effectively three different starters, but I think that's another area where how much of Zariah Fisher are we going to see? How much of a Lions are we going to see? You know, maybe that's where walk-ons come into play a a little bit. So I just think that's kind of – those areas, I think this could be a really big game in terms of developing depth for when you may need it if injuries pop up down the line again.
0: Yeah, kind of an under-radar aspect of that opener was how – much the Fisher played. He had the longest run of his career, uh, longest run on the field of his career in terms of, of getting work out there. He was 25 ish uh, snaps on the game. I think he's going to. Build off, continue to hear great things uh, from within that facility about what he means to this defense here coming off a a pretty significant injury last year that cost him a lot of action on the field. So a year four guy worth remembering about. And I think he'll get probably a a long look here in the game. And it's the kind of matchup where by the time we get to the end of it, because of how this might be skewed from start to finish, you could see uh, you know, a, a second-year player, you know, a, a, tra- a traditional third-string player, end up out snapping some of these starters uh, over the course of 60 minutes. That's just the way, if it goes according to plan for Penn State, it could shape out. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Mother's Day is
3: around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore.
0: Now, Daniel, we're also going to be watching a player on offense who we did not get to see uh, during week one. We did see him in pads during pregame warm-ups, although we noted on, on the message board in our From the Press Box uh, thread on Saturday after, uh, evening that uh, Amari Evans was kind of lingering towards the back of that wide receiver uh, work on Saturday. We didn't end up seeing him involved. He could be a special teams factor as well. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out for him because he's a guy who came out of spring and really threw a lot of preseason camp. We were hearing about being – Maybe at the top of that list in terms of who might be the third wide receiver. Uh, we're in wait and see mode with him, but with Amari Evans out, it meant opportunities for others. And and you continue to hear more about Malik Mega. And in fact, we really got a chance to meet Malik Mag- uh, Malik McLean. I'm I'm not I'm guilty of that along with everybody else in the beat. I think at this point, uh, yep. but Malik Malik McLean stepped up to the microphone yesterday. You were there to put your microphone in front of him. What did you learn about him?
2: Yeah, we got to hear a, a lot from Malik McLean, uh, a little bit more soft spoken, a little bit more of an understated personality, I think. But, you know, he said that you know, being in Beaver Stadium for the first time, scoring his first touchdown in Beaver Stadium, he called it wild. Uh, he said the fans were crazy. Um, you know, he you know really, really enjoyed the experience. Um, but he's someone who in hearing him talk, it just sounds like that he is a very coachable player and that he is someone who really listened to Marcus Hagans, James Franklin, whoever, and took what they were saying to heart. Um, you know, coming out of Saturday, I know that we're focused on the four catches, 58 yards, one touchdown for McLean, but he was the special teams player of the week uh, for, from the coaching staff. So you know, I asked him about that on, on Wednesday night um, and how he approached that, and he said that in the wide receiver room, Marcus Hagans tells all of the the wide receivers that they need to be starters on special teams. So Malik McLean said, well, coach told me I need to do this, so I'm going to go do it. Um, And he made it happen. So he does bring something uh, a little bit different to that wide receiver room. Uh, KJ Winston also spoke on Wednesday night, and he said that he's the type of safety where most of the wide receivers he goes up against, he feels like he can just out physical them, Um, you know, because Winston's a bigger guy. We know the body types that Penn State has, but when it comes to Malik McLean, KJ Winston said that he can't do that, Um, that it's a little bit of a different dynamic that Penn State has in that room. So I I think when you talk about how the wide receiver pecking order really shook out um, after Saturday night, I think that McLean. You know, really, really surprised Uh, a lot of people. Definitely surprised me. Um, It will be interesting to see that when Omari Evans, you know, when when he can come back into the fold, how that changes things a little bit. You know, like we said, he was the guy coming out of spring that we heard, uh, you know, was maybe in position to be the number three. James Franklin said on Wednesday night that it was too early in the week uh, to tell um, if Omari Evans would play. So uh, it's definitely something to watch, but. I do think that coming into the season, if you told us that Omari Evans wouldn't play in week one and would maybe be up in the air for week two, I think that we would have a lot more concern uh, than we do at this point based off of what we saw from McLean, what we saw from Liam Clifford uh, on Saturday night against West Virginia. And these are such different, uh, you know, these are not exactly interchangeable
0: pieces between Omari Evans and Malik McLean, uh, McLean, six foot four, 200 pounds. He does bring some speed, but Omari Evans, six foot 190 and, and one of the fastest players on this entire roster, a uh, dynamic weapon, a guy who played quarterback as Daniel noted when he drafted him in our 11 man draft in August. Uh, but, but, Mark, I I look and and you did a great job kind of as we were constructing our depth chart, which is live online 24/7 as of about an hour ago here on Thursday afternoon. So it's our projection for uh, this matchup against Delaware based on what we saw through 60 minutes of football, what we've seen through practice, what we're hearing as well here on campus. And Mark, receiver is a fascinating spot because you had Keandre Lambert Smith as we projected. All over the place, inside, outside. But Dante Cephas is another guy who was inside and outside. I think it's very clear coming out of this, it's not necessarily only two guys and everyone else. I know James Franklin said that again at practice uh, on Wednesday night, that it's Scoundrel Lambert-Smith, Harrison Wallace, and then a group. But it very much seems, based on the way they use these players, and, and Omari Evans is kind of the X factor because we just don't know, but Malik McLean was was soundly in the rotation uh, for, the, for that game plan in week one. And so was Liam Clifford. They both went 25-plus snaps. No other wide receiver in that group beyond the two starters, and those two went for 10 snaps. So I think when you look at Omari Evans and the impact there, a guy like Dante Cephas, a guy like Malik McLean, uh, Malik Mega this time is who I mean uh, you know their relevancy in, in, in the offense at least as it stands right now could be at stake I, I, I based on what we saw from Lee and Clifford and what we saw from Malik McClain and what we continue to hear about them it doesn't seem like the staff is going to be motivated to cut into their playing time I know Mega is a team and he had a catch uh, Dante Cephas had a catch uh, he also had a notable drop as well but I, I think that the spotlight is particularly on Cephas in this matchup to, to get get himself to build that confidence within himself and on the staff, uh, I think we'll hopefully see a lot of them in some different positions against Delaware. Um, And and to me, just you you don't want to let it slip away where all of a sudden Amari Evans gets his footing again and Malik Mega's established. And if you're Dante Cephas, all of a sudden maybe you're fifth or sixth on the pecking order when you look at best-case scenario entering October.
3: Well, and especially when you consider the amount of 12 personnel they they went Mm -hmm. with. I mean, uh, Warren and Theo both had over 40 snaps in that game. And so when you play that much, and, and so coming out of that game, even though both of those guys played that much, one of the main talking points was, well, the tight ends only caught one pass. So I don't know that they will go above and beyond in this game to get the tight ends involved, but you know as this season goes along because we've seen it and we know how talented both of those guys are that there are going to be a lot of footballs directed in their directions. And that's another reason why I think that opener was, was important for the receivers, because not only did they play, but everybody got a touch. Everybody got, I think, at least one catch, if I'm not incorrect on that. And then with a guy like Cephas, you know, I went back through my my uh, over to uh, up-high photos, eye-in-the-sky photos, and sometimes you kind of forget during the course of the game, but he actually got slot snaps in the first quarter and second, maybe only one or two, but I think that shows you kind of the confidence that they have in him and Malik McLean was more of an outside guy playing where Trey Wallace was playing. And then Keandre was kind of everywhere. But you kind of got the feel for what they were going to do uh, with young Liam Clifford playing primarily in the slot. So mm-hmm. I just like the fact that, you know, and I've said this multiple times over the last few years, we've seen it over and over again where there's like one featured receiver. You know, whether it's Hamler, whether it's Dotson, whether it's Washington. And I think clearly there is going to be a featured receiver on this team and with good reason uh, in Keandre Lambert Smith. But he has four catches in that game. And obviously they went for a lot of yardage, but Harrison Wallace had what, six catches or whatever it was? And they, sp- yeah. yeah. And they also spread the ball around. And I just, I, I really like that. And I don't know if that's a function of, of your quarterback. Just, being able to make those reads more quickly because that's one thing that Franklin's talked about with him. I don't know that that's a function of your offensive coordinator trying to get that done. I don't know if that's a function of your new receivers coach, or maybe it's a function of all the above, but whatever, I think being able to spread the ball is going to keep opponents more honest. And I think they have to keep doing that. Keep making, listen, if the tight ends don't get many catches in one game, then, maybe they ease off on them and you're able to get them going in the next game. But I just think this is going to be keeping multiple receivers involved every game and then working your running backs in. I just think it could make this offense that much more dangerous.
0: Yeah and, and and this should be a really good audition of sorts for this wide receiver room in front of their new position coach. A lot of these guys should be able to accrue some routes over the course of the second half and based on what James Franklin said about that final drive against West Virginia, he's going to want to see his, you know, if they go to number 2s, that he's going to want to see the backups play real football uh, over the course of the second half. So I think it's a really good opportunity to see who's building some stock maybe who's slipping a little bit because I have a feeling once they get out of the month of September and and, and into past mid-October big tense play intensifies they're going to want to have that tightened up wide receiver group and they're going to stick to that group and I don't know how many guys it's going to be ideally I guess it's going to be six but I think if you put Omari Evans in the conversation and now know what we know about Malik McClain and talk about that that mega has had late uh, later in his career and where Caden Saunders is there's just there's more than six names I mean I'm 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 not I'm stating the obvious there, but there's gonna be a cutoff. and and unless someone's hurt and that very well be may be the case, and then you got a guy that gets bumped up, but someone's gonna be let out of that game of musical chairs and they're got to watch a lot of offensive football from the sideline come late October and November and no one wants to be that guy so I think it's a great opportunity here for a lot of dudes we'll probably mention some of them when we go through some of the younger players that we really want to see but there's some concerns here before we start talking about oh the second half after the the 40 to nothing lead is built there's a couple concerns here and and we've got to begin with the kicking situation because those two missed field goals from Sanders Sahadak in the first half on Saturday night were basically like the worst case scenario realized based on everything we talked about in the preseason that was what Mark pointed to as as the biggest concern for him going into the Season. I think a lot of us felt similarly. Daniel, we got an interesting anecdote though from James Franklin on Sanders Sehadak. We don't know if he's going to be the first cooker out there. It could be Alex Falcons, the Columbia transfer who finished the game against West Virginia, and made a 25 yarder, made an extra point. But it sounds like Sahadak did his best to atone to his teammates when the practice week got started on Sunday night.
2: James Franklin told us on Tuesday that when the the team practiced on Sunday, so the day after the game, uh, he was talking to the team at at the end of practice, and Sanders Sehadak you know, you know kind of you know raised his hand and told him, you know, Coach, I, I have something I want to say. Um, and then Sehadak addressed the team and um, in, in the aftermath of that performance uh, on Saturday night. So, you know, like you said, you know, we don't know if it's going to be Sanders Sehadak or Alex Falcons as the first first one out there, but James Franklin keeps reiterating that that competition was so close throughout camp that, you know, that's why they felt they comfortable enough or felt they had to go with Falcons in the second half. Um, and it also sounds like that if Sahedak, you know continues to impress in practice and can put some things together in games when he gets his opportunities mm-hmm. that he could have the chance to, to take it right back. So I think that that's something that'll be you know, interesting to see as we go in. Um, You know, as of right, yeah, we need to see a a long field goal situation. I think to maybe figure some stuff out in terms of how they're splitting up responsibilities, and if Sahadak has an avenue onto the field, um, you know, that way as that that long field goal kicker. Um, But I think that, especially at that type of position, you know, as a specialist, you can really be on your own. Uh, You you can really feel like the the loneliest person out there sometimes. So I think for Sahadak to you know, to demonstrate, uh, you know, the willingness to stand up in front of his teammates and you know, to acknowledge uh, what went wrong on, on Saturday night and kind of try to set things forward. Um, I think that's something that is, is really, really good for Penn State and kind of speaks to the culture that they have in there right now.
0: The other concern we have to mention, James Franklin brought this one up unprompted, uh, but it kind of explains some of why the the roster felt a little bit lighter on the practice field uh, on Wednesday evening, saying that the team dealing with some some sickness, some kind of flu situation. uh, I think this is a campus-wide issue. I think you also see this across the country when – 18 to 22-year-olds reassemble in and masses and, and party for a couple weekends. Uh, yeah, it tends that things get spread around. So I guess the campus itself is dealing with something. Hopefully it doesn't reach my daughter's daycare and, and eventually my house. But <laughs> it sounds like the Penn State roster uh, it may be going through, through some things. James kind of lumped that in with the bumps and bruises statement. I think maybe right now the interior of the offensive line, based on what we saw, didn't see at practice and what we reported on our site, maybe taking the brunt of some of that. But but this is something that we'll be monitoring and tracking. Hopefully it's not a, a Rutgers 2021 scenario when we get to the stadium on, on Saturday where they're not aware who's going to be available and, and everybody seems to be sick. Uh, but just something to monitor there in case there's a, a, some unexpected scratches on that pregame uh, status report. Just something to be aware of right there. Don't necessarily think of a guy's knee or shoulder or a concussion, there could be something else in play if a guy isn't showing up in the game on Saturday. Uh, we mentioned Malik McLean. He's, he's maybe the buzziest name this week, but there's another that you followed up on, Mark, after practice on Wednesday with James Franklin because Franklin's opening statement featured a, 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 a nice uh, heaping of praise for Malik McLean on Tuesday coming out of the game but he also took some time to talk about Catron Allen, who didn't really have a notable game. He averaged about five yards per carry. Uh, but you go down the list of, of top performers that anyone was talking about from this, wouldn't have been Catron Allen really high on that list And James Franklin put out kind of a, a, a big siren and saying, make sure that we appreciate number 13, you know the other running back that we have on this roster.
3: Yeah, and he and I mentioned it when I was talking when I was asking the question. I mean, he typically doesn't say something. Like that, unless there's a motivation, and he just wants to make sure people are appreciating it. I mean, Nick Singleton is getting all his publicity, and rightfully so. He's on the watch lists. He's on, he's a he has Heisman odds. He has all these things, and and that's great. But it, I, I could see where Franklin is coming from. That if you see what Catron Allen brings to the field, and we we even saw it, even though he didn't have any spectacular runs. I mean, this guy. You know, he finds a crack, and he's fallen forward for a, for a few yards at least. I mean, it's it's impressive what he's able to do. And I think Franklin just does, wants to make sure that that's not overshadowed. I also thought it was interesting that he said they're hearing from NFL scouts uh, about – Dot, how,
0: dot, dot. Yeah, yeah that was he, – he didn't go on beyond that, but he, he was saying there's a lot of appreciation for k Allen from football people, and he said we're hearing – you know, what we hear from NFL scouts – dot 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 that was kind of it we're talking about a sophomore who's one game into his sophomore year but yeah Yeah. he he threw that in there he threw that but
3: i see i think the thing is he doesn't have the 40 yard speed that uh that nick singleton has or that that uh you know some of some of the greats here have had but there's a place for power running backs in the nfl i mean we have seen it you know guys who are going to, you know, slam their way through the line for 15 yards and, you know, may not take it to the house. Uh and and I think that's probably what Franklin is talking about when he's hearing from NFL scouts. A tough bruising uh you know, they played both of those backs at once at times, blocking for one another. I think both of those guys are going to get better and better blocking and they threw a pass to to K-Tron as well. I think you're going to see both of those guys featured. So, yeah, I think it's a situation where they legitimately, legitimately view those as, as 1 and 1A starters. And I would not be at all surprised if they alternate starts as the season goes along. Again, I don't know that for sure, but just knowing the way that, that, that they handle things wouldn't surprise me one bit. And in talking uh, to Nick Singleton after the game, he's completely fine with, with the way the rotation's going. And I mentioned this earlier this week, that you know I think these backs are savvy enough now understand that carrying it 30 times a game isn't necessarily the answer anymore all that's going to do is make you less effective at the end of the season all it's going to do is shorten your career ultimately because 30 you know carrying it 30 times in one game is okay but when you stack those game after game after game then you're getting that wear and tear uh, so I think Singleton understands this, but I do think that if you're in Catron Allen's shoes or maybe his parents or his friends, it's got to be a little bit tough that you see Singleton be- getting all this praise, all these NIL deals, and maybe your guy's not getting that sort of publicity. And I think Franklin's probably cognizant of that and is going to give a shout out to a guy, and I think he deserves it. I think I think it was smart to do.
0: Yeah, I would not be surprised to your point if, if we don't see uh, if, if we see Katron Allen's name and you know, on that Jumbotron when they announced the starters. I don't know if they'll put them both on there. But last year, I think they were alternating them for a while. Uh, and additionally, in the Rose Bowl, they announced both of them as a starter. I think the, part of this is there's a built in advantage when you're the Pennsylvania high school star of the year uh, in Nick Singleton. And you're staying here for the home s- state and everyone wants to draw connection to saquon barkley and journey brown and miles sanders and the others who've stayed home and done it here in nittany lions uniform and you know he was the gatorade player of the year all that stuff but i think there's a couple of things here that Catron allen you'd imagine will benefit when when he's ready to cross that bridge from college to the nfl and the views of, of nfl decision makers i'd imagine to your point the tread on the tires these guys are to this point in their career landing between like 10 and 18 carries somewhere between there each game. Maybe that changes in the coming couple of years, but that's where it is right now. And there's an obvious evidence that this is a running back and a and a dynamic playmaker who is willing to share. You know, there's a lot of guys who make that jump from college to the NFL and Since they've been in peewee football all the way through at a high-level Power 5 program, they've been the centerpiece for their offense. And they get to the NFL where there aren't a lot of centerpiece running backs left. Maybe there's four or five. If you're drafting fantasy teams, you know what I'm talking about. And and so you you look at a guy like Catron Allen, you know that won't be a problem. You get him in your backfield. You've got another guy that you think is a supplemental piece, and they're going to work well with each other for the next four or five years. can make it work that's not always a a case you can make so convincingly to a player who just spent a three-year career at a power five school as a heisman trophy candidate and the face of that offense so a couple things there i just think looking long term but we'll see what it means in the immediate uh you know if if katron allen if we follow if we follow up some of the franklin conversation with some action and and then kind of getting him involved super early because uh it kind of wouldn't surprise me if we saw katron allen validate James Franklin's words with some opportunities early in this game before we expect him to get tucked away ultimately. The one that I wanted to mention was just Kobe King. Keep hearing really good things about uh, coming off his first game as a starter. I know he only played about 30 snaps. He saw a lot more of Curtis Jacobs. He saw a lot more of Abdul. Um, But uh, Kobe King, you know, handling the bulk of work for the first time as a starting Mike linebacker, the communication uh, by all accounts, was a very strong suit. His fellow defenders, the coaching staff, commended him for the way he handled himself. I think we all looked at the box score, and he did a nice job as usual. A guy was producing tackles. He did it last year w- with less reps. Uh, he was productive in his opportunities. But what I was curious about was how did it look when Manny Diaz is trying to relay information? How does it look in a moment of adversity when you got defensive linemen looking back at you and safeties or cornerbacks looking up to you? And it sounds like Kobe King answered the bell uh, in his debut opportunity in front of 110,000 fans so that's a good start for the middle linebacker and fellas let's talk about laying out the roster a little bit here um spend a little bit of time before we give our final predictions on the scores mm-hmm. Daniel who were you most looking forward to seeing guys that we game by game don't have, probably won't see a ton of as the season goes on but in this case considering the circumstances against Delaware uh we should get the binoculars out and
2: and, and probably get a, a nice nice glimpse I think the, the first guy that comes to mind that I won't spend really any time on because it's obvious, but Beau Perbula, uh mm-hmm. seeing what he can do in sort of a, a normal run of play situation as opposed to being in a, a four-minute or, or six-minute offense uh, like he was on, on Saturday. Um, but I think for someone a little bit further down the roster, um, I want to see Cam Wallace out there. The freshman running back from Georgia – I believe on signing day, he was announced at about 175 pounds on the latest roster update. He was listed at 191 pounds. He was someone that I think that on signing day, we talked about him as being uh, a little bit more of a a long-term play for Penn State in their backfield, but it really looks like he's taken to the strength and conditioning program. Jayon Sider had really, really nice things to say about him. When I talked to him on on Media Day, and he kind of went back to the, it was almost similar to how you've heard Terry Smith and James Franklin talk about DaQuan Hardy, where it's don't overthink it when it comes to the size, uh, you know, and and all those things because when you turn on the tape and you see what someone like Cam Wallace was capable of in high school, um, I think that you know, I think Jaywon Sider just called him a, a football player that he's someone who can get it done. We've heard good things about his speed. Um, you know, what he brings to a backfield. So I think that when the game gets to that point where they can dip down a little bit into that running back depth, um, he's someone that I think could, you know, maybe surprise people, maybe make things electric for a little while. At the start of the 2019 season, I believe it was, Uh, yeah, 2019 season, Devin
0: Ford ran for 107 yards on six carries against Idaho. I think it was a 70-7 to win for the Nittany Lions. He was the first freshman running back to go over 100 yards in his first game with Penn State in about 35-year span. But my point is I could see Wallace or Montgomery going for 100 yards in this game because either one of them – is capable of going for 75 on one touch, and then you can fill in the rest as the second half progresses. I think it's that kind of a game, and I don't want to shortchange Trey Potts so we saw get some late work behind Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. It's going to be important to continue working him in here, but we're kind of talking about these guys that we're, we're, we're a little more intrigued by, I haven't seen play college football. I'm with you on Mon- I'm with you on Wallace, but I would also just say Montgomery in, in the same boat. I think they're kind of an or situation on who we see first coming off the sidelines when they get that opportunity, and Montgomery has come a long way from that August 2022 uh, knee injury that kept him sidelined. This staff thought he was going to go for 3,000 yards as a high school senior. He had to sit and watch and wait. And he was out there the first day of preseason camp. You say, okay, this is a nice story. And by the end of preseason camp, it was like he came and he was ready to look like a Power 5 running back here on campus. And he happens to be in one of the best rooms at that position. So I think that's a great pick. And I'm just going to say two pass catchers I hope to see a little more uh, in action. One we didn't see at all on Saturday, one we saw somewhat. Caden Saunders I mean this is a if he gets some chances and he gets some well-placed balls seems like he should feast in this situation working out of the slot against the University of Delaware guy who's uh, top two, top 100 prospect profile we've heard a lot of good things go make your mark I think this is a really good opportunity to go you know gain that momentum for a young guy in his career uh, and an important player in this receiver room and then Andrew Rapier I mean I'm just gonna Keep hammering that. If you listen to the podcast, you know how I feel about Rapelier. Um Would love to see him get some opportunities here to run some routes, maybe throw his weight around as a blocker in the second half. Um, Khalil Dinkins, I'd imagine, may end up as as the most taxed guy by the end of this game in terms of snaps as the number three tight end. But hopefully they they, they get into that uh, the rest of that room a little bit. Maybe a guy like Jerry Cross can make his college debut. But to me, Raplier and Saunders are, are two more I want to focus on. Uh, offensively, where are you landing here, Mark?
3: Oh, thanks for taking up everybody on a, an entire. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> we we
0: we saved you the top-rated member of the twenty twenty-three Penn State recruiting class, sir.
3: I know. Listen, I I, I was going to go with the offensive line anyway, and listen, one guy who's not particularly young, uh, but I want to see more of is Nick Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just want to see what he's able to do, because if they do need somebody in that interior or if they do need a uh, you know somebody to step in for Hunter Norris at, at center, I think he's got the ability to be one of those guys. And then Venga Ioane obviously is a guy who played um, in, in the game last week, but I would love to see more. I wonder, though, if this is going to be a situation where they decide not to play Javon Williams and Anthony Donka. Against West Virginia, and and I understand why because you come in late and you don't know how many snaps you're going to get on that series. It ended up being nine, which was you know a decent number, but it, that just as easily could have been a three and out, right? And could this be a situation where they view these guys? I thought I thought Javen was going to be a green. I really did from what I was hearing, and, I, and it looks like he's more of a yellow at this point. And the same thing with Donka. But could this be a situation where? They're fortunate enough to have enough of a lead that you know you could get these guys in, that they're going to get 15, 18 snaps. You know, will they decide to do that just to have them ready in case they are needed, as opposed to sticking them in uh, to mop-up duty of a game that's tighter And you only get a handful of snaps. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but I sort of hope that it does. So we could kind of see how far along these guys are now. How are we going to be able to judge that, you know, against what may be Delaware backups at that point? I don't know, but I think you could judge them by what else you've seen in the game. So everything we've heard that these guys are kind of right there. They're not as far along as Drew Shelton was at this time a year ago, but I would love if, if, I would love it if we did get an opportunity to see those two young offensive linemen, because I think both of them have very, very bright futures. They're not the only young ones, but they're the two that we've heard the most about.
0: Considering Tangwall's out of the equation, you'd imagine there's some motivation to to get some some reps uh, yeah. on Anthony Donka, get some seasoning there. This was the time last year during that non-conference action where Venga Ioane and Drew Shelton made their debuts, got involved. And remember, I think Drew Shelton had like cumulatively less than 25 total snaps on the season before he stepped up and played and started those five final games at left tackle. Defensively, this is, this is kind of even more fun of a conversation because all five of the true freshmen who actually played against West Virginia are on the defensive side of the football. And Daniel, I'll I'll send it back in your direction. I mean, have fun with it. I think we're going to see a lot of young players out there and I'd expect they're going to flash.
2: I'm only gonna mention one guy, so so I leave some some for Mark, but I'm gonna <laughs> I <laughs> I'm, I'm wonder gonna, who he's gonna mention. I wonder who he's gonna mention. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna start on the defensive line. Uh Jameel Lyons. Uh ah, okay. I, okay. i think. Right. yeah, you know, we, we talked to denied Dennis Sutton uh, on Wednesday, and um you know, we've heard that Jameel Lyons is someone who could play a, a decent amount this year. We saw him in at the end of the game against West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So I asked Denai about uh, what he's seen from Lions at this point. And uh, Denai said that Jameel Lyons is someone who reminds him a lot of him uh, when he got here. You know, he did say that Lyons is a little bit skinnier uh, than, than he was, which, you know, not many people come to school built like Denai Dennis Sutton was last year. Um, but you know, he likes what he's seen, he likes the traits. Um, and I do think that this type of game. Uh, lends itself to some of these younger pass rushers really, really getting some good reps because if it, you know, if it's like maybe a a 28 three in the first half and and Delaware, you know, wants to stay in the game, Blue Hens start, you know, really throwing, leaning on the arm of Ryan O'Connor. You, know, you can put those defensive ends uh, in there and really let them pin their ears back, um, especially these younger guys that you know, don't have any sacks, have very limited experience in Beaver Stadium. This is a really prime opportunity for them to make an early impact. Um, you know, I think that we saw denied Dennis Sutton do that last year too, with all three of his sacks coming in September um, in garbage time of some of these early season games. So, um, you know, I'll keep an eye out for for Lions. Uh, he's a really unique physical unique guy physically on that defensive line. And I think that he's someone when we get to Saturday night and you know, we can, you know, we could very well be talking about how much he was in an opposing backfield. Mark, I'm going to focus and you're going to, I'm
0: going to save you the entire defensive backfield. That's three green light guys. Yeah. You're, taking your them, the, you're taking
3: the best guy.
0: I'm taking the entire position. I'm taking the entire position group at linebacker is what I'm what I'm gonna do. Because there's four. How do I go last on all of them? Are we going (laughs) oldest guy goes last on all these? Are we going by age? We're starting with beauty and we're ending with age. That there's a (laughs) reason for this order. Okay, (laughs) let us just proceed. Uh, And and so I I lost my train of thought now. I think I think that linebacker room in general. I mean, we we talked so much about how they were kind of mixing and matching in the starting group last week, but. Keon Wiley is a guy that I want to see a bunch of, and I think we will, maybe in multiple positions, both the will spot and the mike. He looks like a completely different player. I think he was around 206, seven pounds when he got to campus last year out of Philadelphia, and now he's comfortably at 225-plus pound range, and he looks the part out there. He looks the part not just in the physical manner of a guy who's different in year two as a redshirt freshman, but just the way he's carrying himself and our looks at practice, the way he's toward the front, inching his way toward the front of that linebacker line. It's funny as you watch the progression of guys and where they are in position drills during the course of their career, you start to see that confidence build in the way they handle themselves among their peers. Seeing that with Wiley, but obviously the freshman here, there's a trio of them. Tony Rojas got 11 snaps last week. Maybe he could double or triple that uh, this week, depending on how things go. Uh, and does it happen in multiple spots? You know, predominantly where we've seen him is the will position behind Abdul Carter, but we also saw Curtis Jacobs take a series at the will position last week. So that kept Rojas off the field. You know, is he a guy who's still going to maybe factor in as a Sam? We've cr- He's cross-trained in year one. And then Kavion Keyes and Tamir Robinson, I wrote about this in our in our practice report on Wednesday night. These guys have kind of crossed paths from physical development standpoint. There was a lot of questions about Tamir. Jamie Robinson, would he be able to stay at linebacker? Is he just going to have that bulk to be a defensive end ultimately at linebacker or, or in college? And after not really playing as a high school upperclassman because of injury issues, he's got the campus and he's looking long, lean. Uh, he's looking like a linebacker and he's playing like one. He's being reactive. And right now he's probably fourth on that Mike linebacker depth chart, but a guy that should get some run here. What does he look like in the open field? I thought he looked really good in the blue white game uh, back in April. And, and then KV on keys working his way in the other direction. He was playing high school football last year at less than 200 pounds. Now he weighs more than, than Tamir Robinson. He's listed, I think around 226 pounds. He's been playing a lot of that Sam role. So look, let's see what the future of LBU looks like. Cause I think we've got a pretty good feel for the guys. We're going to see a bunch of can Tony Rojas work his way in toward, you know, commanding a weekly spot and can Tamir Robinson and Kevon Keys give us a nice long extended view toward the future because I, we're going to see both of them, quite frankly, barring injuries tucked away for the most part in developmental squad roles this fall. So, Mark, I, I, sorry I took your guy Rojas. You can mention him if you'd like, but I left you a lot of good guys in, in this defensive secondary.
3: No, in all seriousness, it, there are a lot of good players. But one thing I would mention about Rojas is uh, you have him for – Eleven snaps in the game, and I would bet only mm-hmm. one or two of those were on defense, right? I mean, I think most of those those, those
0: were-, were strictly defense. Those those, oh, okay. those aren't including special. Teams. All right, so he did get eleven. He snaps. did contribute. Yeah, he's tri- okay. he contributed on special teams as well. Right. Yeah. So the one thing
3: that I would say about Rojas is is in spite of getting eleven snaps. I really want to see him playing more linebacker. And I understand why they did what they did because they wanted to have more veterans out there, which makes sense at this point of the season. So when Abdul Carter went off the field, they moved Jacobs to the will and then they brought in Dom DeLuca. But I wonder if there were somebody who were injured or stuff or something, I think you might see uh, Rojas being a guy who who was elevated. I may be wrong about that, but but we'll see how that goes. So just seeing him getting more snaps. But, you know, obviously the one guy... And I would put this guy; he would be right up there with Rojas for me, even though he only had one snap. Was King Mac? Because we've just heard so much about this guy, and I wonder how many snaps he's going to be able to get through the course of this season, yeah. playing in this loaded room. I know the coaches probably don't want me to say that, but he, <laughs> in all honesty, you look at it, you know. But again, you know, they're they're one. There, if you're going with this four man rotation, if you're dedicated to that, and and somebody gets dinged king mac better be ready to go and what, what are we hearing about king mac not the biggest guy but super physical extremely athletic and i'm just we've heard so much about him that i just want to see more of them and then zion tracy and Elliott washington the two athletic free cornerbacks let's see them get out there let's see what sort of fun that they're able to have against a team that passes the ball a lot you know we heard from daniel the other daniel earlier about how that's kind of the way they operate, and it'll be fun to see these guys get tested. You know, All three of these DBs played in the first game. They're all green lights, so they're going to be good to go to get as many snaps as they want, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all three of them. But it, it, it just when we were joking about this stuff about who's taking who and whatnot, that's one of the fun things about this roster now is that we can go through this exercise, and there are legitimate people to, to, to pick out at all, all the different levels on offense and defense.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I think another thing here, you'll probably see a lot more depth on special teams. We, we didn't see as many of those freshmen involved as I thought we might in game one. That probably changes over the course of this. Stacey Collins gets a longer look at the roster, who's handling themselves out there, because you want to keep that special teams unit as tightened up as possible as the season progresses, not slipping the opposite direction. So I, I think a guy like Elliot Washington uh, could get a lot of run there. Zion Tracy, King Mac. Uh, we did see Tony Ross in coverage on special teams. Uh, let's get into our prediction conversation now we're, we're each going to offer up the score pick uh, a bold prediction as well and a player to watch if we haven't given you enough players to watch on this episode uh and mark because of the complaining oh, we'll begin with you
3: now i get to go first
0: <laughs> oh my god uh
3: i am going listen it's hard to re- it's hard to really analyze this one and li- delaware is a really good uh fcs program but i just think it's going to you know you're playing in front of 10 times the number of people that you may play in front of. Uh, I, I think Penn State is – this Penn State team is way better, way deeper uh, than that team that had some struggles with Villanova, and I think it's just going to be a real uphill battle. So I'm looking at it 47-10. to 10. Uh, I, I think one of the real keys, it would actually be good for Penn State if somewhere along the line – I don't know if it would be the first half, first half, third quarter, fourth quarter – that that, uh, that Delaware is able to force them into field goal situations because mm-hmm. I think you really want to get that tightened up going out to Champaign. So I'm picking it as 47-10. My, my player to watch and my bold prediction are one and the same. They, they kind of go together. Uh, it's Caden Saunders because I think he's going to have an opportunity to do some stuff in the passing game uh, that we didn't really see in game one. He's a guy that we heard last year wasn't in the greatest shape, but you look at him now and he almost looks like a different player. We see him in practice zipping around and you see that speed that we heard about. So uh, he's my player to watch. And my bold prediction I want to get the name right of the punter, but uh, Stony Brook's punter is d- 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 Ryan Cost from Monmouth. He Stony let- Brook's punter? I'm sorry? No, Delaware's I'll, I'll, punter. punter. Yeah, okay. he, at at Stony Brook, I'm, I apologize. At Stony Brook, he averaged forty, or he he didn't punt at all. But last year at Monmouth, where he transferred from, I'm ba- ba- botching this completely. <laughs> but he averaged 48.1 <laughs> yards per kick. Point being, this guy, when he was at Monmouth last year before transferring to Delaware, and then not kicking at Stony Brook, if that makes complete sense, he 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 kicks really far, and I think in this sort of game, he's going to outkick his coverage because they don't have the athletes to get down there and catch Caden Saunders, who's going to take a a punt for a touchdown. I should have just kept going last. I'm much better. I think Caden Saunders, my bold prediction, after all that, is going to take a punt back for a touchdown in this game because they have a quick kicker who could boom it, but I don't
0: think they have the athletes to, to track this kid down. Mark, the punchline was worth it. I mean, that's a that's a legitimate bold line, bold prediction. Uh, that's one of the more bold ones that we've had. And predicting a punt return in any game is a lot. So you're on the record. Caden I made Saunders the I made happen. the
3: mistake of reading my own prediction. I have it up here, and as I look at it, I mentioned far too many schools there because <laughs> I was like all over the place. But that's the, that's what schools. the transfer portal is all about. So this kid was at Monmouth, transfers to Delaware, goes to Stony Brook. In a game, they don't have to punt at all because Stony Brook's terrible. And so he's coming up here, but I think he's
0: a really good kicker. Can- <laughs> I'm digging deeper. We're, we're going to see this punter so much on Saturday. And every time they try to mount me and Daniel are going to tap you on the shoulder and remind <laughs> you of this conversation. And then when James so- Sanders is standing in the end zone, <laughs>
3: What are you going to say? Deal. Hey, deal. Daniel. Hey, listen, The other thing is, I mentioned this, <laughs> we're going to revisit these bold predictions because we didn't last week, but next Tuesday, and, and now this assures it because we absolutely have to revisit this uh, next Monday. I'm sorry.
0: Daniel, uh, less specialists. Uh, what do you got for us in your prediction?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to take you guys on a tour of FCS schools in the the Northeast <laughs> and the Mid Atlantic uh, here with with my prediction. But yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I you know maybe this will be close early. Maybe uh, there will be a couple touch and go moments where we can see Penn State face some adversity and work through it. But yeah, I think overall Penn State should be able to take care of business. Um, I think that. It'll be kind of like those, the game against Ohio last year, where you have the countdown clock to seeing Drew Aller. I think we're going to be, it's going to be similar with Bo um when he gets in the game. I have Penn state 48 Delaware, 10 um, for a player to watch. I'm going to go with Khalil Dinkins um, earlier, Tyler, you mentioned that he's probably going to see the most work um, when you look at how, how things shake out at the tight end position. Um, but he's someone that we heard a lot of good things about this offseason. Um, you know, whenever James Franklin had the opportunity to talk about Dinkins, he had really good things to say. Um, we saw Dinkins get a little bit of run um, last week. He was in the center of the tee, uh where Brenton Strange uh, was last year. So you know, they, he's someone that they feel good about his blocking. So, you know, we saw Dinkins, I think Dinkins caught his first career touchdown and garbage time against ohio last year from drew aller Um, i think that he's someone who can get some run um, and produce against delaware and then for my bold prediction uh, i'm looking at the running backs nick singleton and katron allen Um, earlier this week james franklin really shouted out their efficiency he felt that the running game did you know very well against west virginia even if neither really had super eye-popping stats but you know, we saw both of them come close to breaking one here or there. Um, I think Singleton had a, one where he got tripped up um, with Allen's vision. You know, he can always find a hole and, and get an opening. So I'm going to go with each Singleton and Allen having a run of at least 40 yards. Um, we saw Singleton do this a number of times last year. Um, I don't believe we saw Catron Allen do it. Um, but I do think that in this type of game, you know, Nick Singleton it's probably going to be the best athlete on the field uh, in, in certain situations. Katron Allen, um, I think that he has that big playability. I think we've seen it a little bit more in the passing game when they put him in space to start. Um, but I think that both of them are going to take a handoff from Drew Aller and it's going to be off to the races. I quickly went to Katron's
0: profile because he got me curious. He went forty plus once. He went for fifty nine against Rutgers on the road mm-hmm. last year when he had eleven carries for one seventeen. But really, not the way we view, and not the way a lot of people view Katron Allen, which is what a lot, a lot of, of what Mark was talking about before with those running backs. All right, good stuff. Uh, certainly appreciate the the way you approach that prediction. I'm gonna jump into it. I don't I don't know what the betting line is. Do we do we have anything official? Not right. That yeah. All right, forty. I think forty-nine points will cover it, though. Um, I've got fifty-two <laughs> to three. Penn State taking this one and improving to two and zero. Oh. I just don't see uh, that kind of scenario. What we talked about with Villanova a couple of years playing out again. Like these guys do not either. Um, I just think way too much power in the trenches. They're going to throw a lot of power five, high level bodies at the Blue Hens on the offensive line and the defensive line. Uh, my curiosity is how does Penn State play if they really have been behind the scenes dealing with a wreck of a week? I think that's the one thing that could throw a wrench into my score, maybe give Delaware another touchdown or some more points is if this team's been scrambling because they have been dealing with some kind of flu outbreak and guys have been playing out of position or maybe not playing with the the normal team, the second or first teams that they're going to be with on game day. And so that could kind of spin your wheels a little bit come Saturday. But, Beyond that, I, I think just, there's too much firepower. There's too much ability. So 52-3. to three. My, my bold prediction here is I think four different Penn State running backs are going to end up scoring in this game, including at least one of those freshmen that Daniel and I spent a lot of time talking about, London Montgomery or Cam Wallace. Maybe they both get there, but four different Penn State running backs score. Um, and my player to watch in this game, I'm going to go Tony Rojas. I just think he's going to get a ton of time on the field. And you know, it seemed like when that happened for him, the Lou White game, he made the most of it. And the way this game is kind of set up from a defensive perspective, you're going to be dealing with a lot of short passes and hey, you're a fast rangy linebacker. I think there'll be a lot of opportunities from the cleanup plays and intermediate and, and short throws from Delaware. So it would not surprise me if by the end of this game, there's going to be so many names in the box score. If he ends up being the tackles leader in this game and maybe that should have been my bold pick, but I think he's going to get a lot of run out there and I think he's going to maximize those opportunities. Guys, been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I said we're not going to do hour-long shows during the season. We're at an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes here on a Thursday ahead of the Delaware matchup. So fun stuff. Uh, didn't feel like that long and I appreciate the, the insight earlier from the other Daniel on this Delaware Blue Hens team. Guys, I'll see you in the press box on Saturday uh, morning. Hey, Tyler, one more uh, not-so-bold yeah. prediction. People are going to be it. losing
3: their minds over uh, <laughs> not being able to get this game on TV. So If you don't know, this game's on Peacock. It's streaming only. I know a lot of people know that, but if, you, if you're if you not aware of that, go to our How to Watch and figure out how you're going to be able to watch this thing. In all seriousness, we've had a lot of fun joking around, but I know what it's like when people try to watch a game and, and they they weren't really plugged into that. This thing's only going to be streamed and there people are going to be panicking. So really, folks, in, in all seriousness, make sure you can figure out how you're going to be able to watch this game
0: before game day gets here and you're struggling to find it. Words of wisdom from Mark Brennan. Do not wait till fifty eight because you don't know how long Drew is going to be playing football on Saturday. So tune in.
2: And I'm going to piggyback off of that. We saw the state college uh, police put out an announcement that they're expecting, you know, really bad traffic because of some of the construction stuff that's happening, um, especially with the W lots, which is one that I park in. So I have to keep that in mind. Um, So like, like Mark said, you don't know how long Drew Aller is going to be playing football on on Saturday. So that's that's another thing to to plan for.
0: We pack in a bunch of Penn State talk and then we offer up some PSAs at the end of this podcast. I don't know what else you want from us. Big thanks to Mark and Daniel, both Daniels for now. uh, All of us are stepping aside. We'll be back in the press box on Saturday. We're back with a post game podcast Saturday, late afternoon, early evening for now. On behalf of these guys, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for tuning in to the Lions 24 7 podcast.